For the 11th episode of the Toddcast, the Teacher Podcast, I interview close friend Lauren Millard-Ray. Lauren has been teaching for 17 years and is currently a leading teacher in numeracy. Throughout this episode, Lauren will be sharing her educational journey and her outstanding knowledge and experiences in numeracy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to the Toddcast, the Teacher Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Todd. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for asking. And it is great to have you on the Toddcast today. Oh, well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but before we get started today, can you give me a little highlight of your day? Highlight of my day this morning. Oh, I think this morning was possibly my morning run. I woke up and I could hear some rain and I didn't think that I was going to get out for a run. But uh, it actually dried up a little. So my morning run is often the highlight of my day. It's a good chance to, you know, get set for the day and puts a smile on my face. And so, yeah, I was happy that I got my morning run in today. Yeah, fantastic. Love that. Uh, awesome. So, Lauren, can you tell me about yourself and how long you've been teaching for? Uh, I have been teaching for maybe 16 or 17 years. Um, I was lucky when I did my degree in that the course in Bendigo you did a Bachelor of Teaching so that was a three-year degree and then you did a one-year Bachelor of Education on the end so I could actually teach all through my fourth year essentially which was fantastic and I think I got probably the most experience doing that and just being out in schools and being able to try the things that you were doing while you were at uni, I thought that was great. So I did lots of CRT around Bendigo because most of the classes were on weekends and after school and stuff. So that was really good to be able to do that. And then I got a job at a small school just outside of Bendigo and I was there for a year and I was in a grade four, five and six classroom. So that was a real jump into differentiation straight up. That was a wide range uh, with four, five and six in one room. And then after that, I uh, got a job in Bendigo at my current school and I have been there ever since, which is around about 15 years. So that was been a bit of a, uh, a variety of roles, I guess. I started just as a classroom teacher, not just. Classroom teachers are amazing, not just a classroom teacher. Uh, but then I moved into a team leader role. Um, I've been a numeracy coordinator and then sort of moved into um, this proper numeracy coordinator role that I've got at the moment, which is a leading teacher job, which I love. Yeah, awesome. And have you enjoyed being able to do a variety of different roles? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons that I became a teacher is because there are so many different jobs you can do within it, even just when you think of all the different specialist areas or the different things you can do within a classroom in a day and the different levels of leadership you can work in. I think that's the, the wide variety of roles you can do is probably one of the reasons I got into teaching, I guess. Yeah, excellent. And when you were mentioning before about uh, in your fourth year and being able to do some CRT days and being in schools, do you think that's something that we should try and implement again? Oh, I absolutely loved that. Like I said, it, it probably gave you the most experience. And even when you got to apply to be a teacher, and have a full-time role after that, you actually had some experience to draw on. Um, one of your earlier presenters talked about when you're writing an application, don't write on practicum, 
um, you know, write about what you are going to do or write about what the experience you do have. And I found that I had experience because it wasn't just practicum. It was all the things that I was doing as a CRT. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's almost like a little apprenticeship, I guess <laughs> you, you do the course and then you have a little uh, emergency teaching apprenticeship on the end. So I thought it was great and would love to see that come back in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from previous podcasts with the grads, it's something that they continued to mention as well, didn't they? So yeah, yeah fingers crossed, hopefully in the future, something like that might be able to be implemented again, because I think, yeah. you know, the, as you said, the amount of times you can get into the classroom and get experience. And as you said, that apprenticeship, I think that's really important to make you a more quality teacher and have just more experiences and have a bit more knowledge about what you need to be doing when you start your career. And the reason that you decided to become a teacher, Lauren? knew what I wanted to be like even at school um, you know you had to have to pick your subjects in year 11 and 12 and I didn't really know what I wanted to be so I just chose subjects that I enjoyed figuring that if I enjoyed the subject I would do well at it and then my VCE scores would take care of themselves because I would enjoy it and do well so I, I did maths as a bit of a, a backup um, which I guess has worked out well in the end because I, I was never really that into maths, contrary to what I am now. Um, but yeah, so when I finished high school, I then started an outdoor ed degree. And I quickly realised that was not for me. Uh, so that only lasted a semester. Uh, and so then I transferred to an education degree at the, the start of the following year. And I think probably kind of like I said uh, before, that in the end, having a job with so much variety is what really appealed to me that there are so many different roles you can have and your days are rarely the same and it's the kind of job as well that you really do get out what you put in like if you put the effort into making challenging engaging lessons then you're going to be challenged and engaged yourself you're going to be much more excited to go to work every day if you feel challenged and engaged so yeah that that was probably the part of the job that was most appealing yeah excellent love that last comment there can we take a little bit of a deeper look into your current role now, Lauren? Is that all right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, beautiful. So can you tell me about your leading teacher role in numeracy? Uh, yeah, it sort of happened by accident. Um, and if beginning teacher me heard what I was doing right now, they would never have believed you because I um, was never, I never really felt like I was good at maths. And now I'm a numeracy coordinator. So yeah, I never would have thought this was a role that I was in. Um, but it's a role that's kind of grown over time um, at our school and it sort of started as a bit of a token job. It was a 30 minutes release, time release for the week and you did the budget and opened the mail sort of thing. It was really not a, a full numeracy role. Um, but then it sort of, as our school grew, we sort of doubled in size in a fairly short space of time. So um, we started to sort of need um, a bit of a leadership restructure at the school, I guess. And... So we decided that we needed a leading teacher that was sort of curriculum, more curriculum based. And I applied for that, not thinking I would ever get that. That was way outside my comfort zone. I didn't think I was qualified for the role whatsoever, but threw my hat into the ring and ended up with the job. So it sort of started off as a two day a week type job and then just morphed into a three-day-a-week job and is now a full-time job and there's actually two of us doing it. So I um, do the numeracy side at our school and there's another teacher here that does the literacy side but we still work together on, on lots of curriculum things. 
I'm, I'm a really logical thinker, like I mentioned before. And so part of the role initially was uh, more a uh, get jobs done, dog's body type role. Um, I love making a good timetable. Uh, I just like the nitty gritty of that and I just like getting it right. So that's a really satisfying job for me, but I don't get to do as many of those now that I'm just full-time uh, numeracy. But yeah, really, I didn't set out to become a numeracy leading teacher. It just kind of worked out that way. And I guess the role now is about um, facilitating teachers to be their best, because I certainly don't know everything about numeracy. Nobody does. So I never want to be standing here going, well, come and see, come and ask me because I know the answers. It's more about, well, let's work on this together and let's find the best way to approach something in numeracy. So it's it's more about consulting and coaching and conversations with staff and and being there to provide the resources and the time and things like that that people need to be the best numeracy teachers they can yeah excellent i love that opportunity to communicate and talk bounce ideas off each other i think that's fantastic so what would you say that you're in your current role that you are now lauren what would be the best part of your role and then what would be the worst part of your current role the best part is when teachers come back to you and they tell you how excited they are about this lesson that they just took because you'd worked on it together and you'd talked about what they might do in the lesson. So it's that seeing teachers grow in their confidence to teach maths. Um, it's, it's really great that the teachers at my current school are so open to trying new things. And it's, yeah, that's, that's the best part that people are so willing to take on new ideas and to have a go and to see how much they love it when it goes well. So that's probably the best part. The worst part, I think somebody else mentioned in an earlier podcast of yours was about the continual workload, the every new document that comes out needs implementing and all the extra things that get piled onto teachers and leaders. So I'm sure there's plenty of documents that I write that never end up getting read by anybody and they just sit there, but needless to say they need to be done and yeah so if that means that's part of the role then that's what has to happen I guess. Yes very true and then how do you think you would structure a numeracy lesson to best meet our students needs and learning outcomes Lauren? Yeah well that was actually one of the first tasks when I moved into this numeracy role was we didn't really have a set um, instructional model or lesson structure at the school. So that was one of the first things that we did as a bit of a team. We took some instructional models from some other schools and we researched some best practice of what we should be doing and we, we created one um, for our school that fit our needs specifically. And it had a bit of a combination of that I do, we do, you do combo um, that we're sort of guiding that gradual release of responsibility where we're guiding the students um, through what they need to learn. I mean, it's not specifically in that order. We have a bit of you do at the start where we just want kids to play a game and get engaged in it. Something we do here to meet the needs of all students is we, we play the same game for a week, a lot of the time. Sort of two reasons for that. It sort of um, cuts down on instruction time to start with. Uh, so the kids can actually just get in and get started because they already know the game. But it means that you can change it up through the week as well and, and make things more challenging for kids or um, make them apply their fluency a little better and, and be flexible with their strategies in how they're attacking the game. So um, that's 
that's one way to meet the needs of different students and different groupings. You might start off with like abilities on one day and then mixed abilities on a different day and those kind of things. So that means that you can meet the needs um, of all the kids. One of the things that, uh, and it's a bit of an odd phrase in our instructional model, is that we want our tasks to be pleasantly frustrating. I, I don't like when the we lead kids to water a little too structured. It's like, here's the answer, follow these steps and we're done. So that pleasantly frustrating phrase that's within our model helps kids to know that they really do need to struggle for a bit on a task. You don't want to be too hard that they tune out and go, oh, I can't do this too hard. But, but to have that struggle and to overcome that struggle and to find a solution is probably one of the best parts of a lesson that I like. So yeah, I think that that's how you meet the needs of students by, by meeting them where they are and giving them a challenge. Yeah, excellent. And do you think once you've added in that instructional model, that's helped your teaching staff be able to implement the program that your school wants to run? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's um, helped to know that the kids know what to expect when they go into a lesson. They know we're going to play a game to start with and they know that I'm going to step you through what you're going to need to do and then I'm going to give you time to practice and I'm going to work with you in a small group and help you out. And we're going to reflect on it both throughout the lesson and, and at the end. So it's helped, helped kids to increase their vocab in terms of how they can talk about maths a lot of kids can tell you that they got the answer, but they might not tell you how they got that answer or what else they could have tried or what they understand about it. So more about kids showing their understanding. Um, I think the model has helped that, that they can actually talk about what they know. Yeah, and I think it also provides them with that consistency, as you're saying, they know what is kind of happening and how the lesson is going to be structured. I know my yeah. preps, when we're doing our numeracy lessons, they like the structure and the routine of how the numeracy lesson normally runs. And as you're kind of saying, how your school's running it as well, sounds very similar. Excellent. So any numeracy tips or classroom musts? You might want to break it down into juniors and seniors or put it all together. Yeah, I think one of the biggest musts is developing a good disposition towards maths uh, in kids. I always thought that I was terrible at maths at school because I didn't get the answers as quick as someone else in the class. I got them right, but I always felt like I wasn't as good because I didn't get the answer as quickly. So I guess I've always had a little bit of maths anxiety about this. Um, and so my first tip would be to build that positive disposition towards maths with your students or even with your children. If there's parents listening, do that with your kids as well. You hear so many people say, oh, I was never good at maths at school, so don't worry about it. Or, oh, I'm not a maths person either. Well, everyone can be a maths person. It's the same as any skill that you want to get better at. You just have to practice it. So, and it, it can be small things to change the disposition of kids towards maths. It's, it's even just changing the way you say it. Like, oh, no, you got that one right, so I'll give you a harder one. Well, don't say harder. Nobody wants their life to be harder. Say, oh, that's great. I'll give you a challenge. I'll give you a new challenge. Um, and kids want to rise to that challenge. So it sounds more exciting too, a challenge rather than something being hard. So the other tip to get your disposition towards maths is to walk into the room excited about a maths lesson and the kids will join in with your enthusiasm but it means that you have to give them a lesson to be excited about so you know skill and drill finish these 10 questions here's a worksheet I've written them on the board type thing that's not going to excite anyone so 
in saying that, I recently gave my maths extension class a worksheet and they were so excited because we never do worksheets. It was such a novelty for them. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that deflated me a little bit that they just wanted a worksheet, <laughs> but that's okay. I think they enjoy it most of the time. Another numeracy tip for me would be, I think that timed multiplication tests should be banned or any kind of race where it's about the fastest person to get the answer should be banned. And there's loads of research around this to say that that can actually have the reverse effect. It can be damaging to kids, um, both in their disposition and in the way they attack problems. If they think it's about speed, they're just going to rote learn it. They're not going to try and understand what they should be understanding. So they create so much anxiety in kids and turn kids off that I, I don't think that any sort of time test or race should be, uh, be taught in any maths class. And there's also a big misunderstanding in the maths proficiencies that fluency is about being fast and fluency is about automatic recall of tables facts. And it's completely not. Fluency is about how uh, students develop their skills in choosing efficient strategies and how they're applying those strategies and being flexible about using strategies. So it's not quick, 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 let's get the answer, automatic recall. It's about being able to apply your understanding to solve problems. So, yep, any kind of race, I hate. I'm with you there, with you there. Yeah. Um, another tip would be don't take away concrete materials and diagrams too early. Kids in grade six should be still using concrete materials. It's, it, we take it away and go straight to an algorithm or formula too quickly. There's lots of research around that we probably shouldn't even be teaching algorithms in primary school at all. So we can't do much about that. It's still in our curriculum, but it's, you really want kids to understand something before they can just follow the steps. So if concrete materials means that they're gonna do that, then why not use them? So, yeah, I, I think something that highlights that is when I was at school, we were taught a different way to do subtraction. You know how you cross out two, take away four. You can't do that. So you cross out the one and, and that makes a huge mess. So we were taught this other way that was just simply called one to the top and one to the bottom. Now I could do that, one to the top, one to the bottom. Yes, it's fast and efficient, fantastic. But then it wasn't until I actually became a teacher and went to teach kids that that I actually had to say oh why does that work and teach myself why that worked I had no understanding of why it worked I just was following the steps so I think making sure that kids understand what they're doing rather than just following steps is a huge tip yeah excellent I particularly love what you mentioned at the start there Loz with getting the kids excited for numeracy. I know like today we did a, a numeracy problem solving task today. It was just with flowers in a pot. And I just explained that I was going to Bunnings um, this afternoon to get some flowers and I wanted some yellow and pink ones and, and we were doing it for addition. But they were so excited listening to my story and how excited I was about going to Bunnings and getting this. And I needed help to work out what plants I should get and all the different combinations I could have for addition. And you could just see their excitement. So they were all excited going off to do their work to figure out the answers for me to be able to go to Bunnings this afternoon. So just a simple little thing like that can get them hooked in, as she's kind of saying, nice and early. And then you can see all the different strategies and ideas that they're starting to bring. And it was exciting to see that some were putting, doing equations or they, as you said, they had 
concrete materials and they were using that to work it out or they were doing a diagram somewhere made it into a bit of a whole big table for me that I could then take to Bunnings to organize it so yeah I think getting them excited and passionate about numeracy is really really important as you're saying Oh, that gets me excited when I hear you excited about numeracy. Yay! <laughs> Love it. All great tips there. So thanks for that. Uh, have you got any resources or books that you think are really great for numeracy lessons? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, well, look, it sounds like I'm giving the department a bit of a plug, but I really do love the curriculum companion that they have. It's amazing professional reading for anyone before they're teaching a topic. It's easy to navigate. It's got great activity suggestions and videos and learning sequences. And even as someone who teaches numeracy all the time, I do the pre-reading of any topic that I'm going to teach using that. So definitely check out the Curriculum Companion if you haven't already. I have it bookmarked on the top of my screen every day. Another one is the Top 10 Numeracy Package. And it's a resource that you buy. It's a one-off resource that you can have in your school and it's got amazing developmentally sequenced materials-based lessons that really do a lot of concrete material stuff and there's no worksheets. Well, maybe a template here or there or a table to fill in, but really no worksheets or anything. And it, it actually fits really well with our school's instructional model. So it's great to be able to just pick up a hook from there. Um, sometimes it's the hook is what's hard to think of uh, to get the kids hooked in. So it's it's got great ideas for enabling and extending prompts as well, how to be working on the same task, but giving access to kids who uh, are working at a lower level or at a higher level. So that's a great resource that I can plug as well. Every school should have a MAV subscription it's essential you it's even if it's just for the quarterly prime number magazine that's got the most amazing ideas in it and great pd and their two-day conference if you can ever get to that is outstanding it's been online for the last couple of years but in person it's just so engaging and inspiring so love mav give them a good plug uh, and as you know Toddy, because we've uh, had a discussion about this before i do love a good picture storybook in my lessons so how Many Legs is a great one. Kez Gray and Jim Field wrote that one and it can be used from prep to year six and it can cover anything from simple counting to multiplicative thinking and problem solving. So that's a ripper, How Many Legs. Uh, and I love Counting on Frank as well by Rod Clement. That's one of my favourite picture books. Um, it's really good for estimation and investigation. Um, and my maths learning specialist counterpart, Eddie, and I, we've got a bit of a uh, weekly maths challenge going on at school at the moment that the kids have been loving. And it's where we make up some problem-solving challenges for the kids that we have up on some walls around the school and just to raise the profile of maths around the school a bit, I guess. The first week was about how many Legos tall one of our teachers was that the kids had to estimate. And another one was about how what a teacher could count to in 30 seconds. Uh, and the one at the moment is um, how many marshmallows one of our teachers can fit in their mouth at one time, a little bit chubby bunny style. So they're all very excited to answer that. So estimation books like that and Estimation 180 is a great website too, but Counting on Frank is great for estimation. Yeah, love that. We might actually put that into the podcast notes, all those different books and resources there, if that's okay, Lauren. 
Yeah, for sure. But people can check those out a little bit later. But I know, uh, as you were mentioning, uh, you've helped me out quite a bit this year and uh, last year as well with some different resources and books, and they've been fantastic for our for our preps. And we're uh, off to purchase some uh, other big books as well for our, our numeracy lessons that I went and caught up with you last week about. So no, it's yes. uh, fantastic. So thanks for all your help as well. No worries, anytime. And is there any other information you'd like to share about teaching numeracy? I think in numeracy, it's really great to make sure you're not trying to jam too much into one lesson. You, you don't want to run out of reflection time at the end. One of the biggest things that people say is, oh, we ran out of time at the end for the reflection. And it's one of the most important parts of a lesson. But also it means if, you've, if you're jamming less into a lesson, that's great because you're doing less, but you're doing it well and you're doing it deeper. So um, some of the best lessons are lessons where you do one question and you work on that for the whole lesson because there's so much to it. It means you have to really plan and think about that problem or question so that you can work on it for a whole lesson. But kids will get so much more out of a rich learning task or an investigation or an open problem solving task than they ever will with any kind of worksheet where they're doing 20 questions on something. So yeah, I mean, alongside our maths instructional model as well, we have a, a problem solving lesson structure. That means some of those open-ended problem solving skills get used by the kids uh, and it encourages students to try new strategies as well. So doing one question and looking at all the different ways that you could solve it or looking for the most efficient way to solve it or finding a formula in the end, like you've, you've drawn a picture, that's great, but now can we create our own formula to solve it? That's still only one question, but you've really worked right through that question and kids will get so much more out of that than the page of 20 questions. Yeah, fantastic. I think the really important thing you mentioned there as well is that ability to have that reflection time and that conversation near the end. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been really trying to focus on having that time to reflect. And sometimes, as you said, it's the first thing to kind of disappear when you go a little bit over in your lesson. But I, you can see the difference when you have that reflection time and the kids are hearing different language and, and words and using different words. As you mentioned before in one of your other questions, explaining how they got the answer instead of just, oh, that's the answer. Actually talking about how they work that out. I think it's all really important. And going back to the leadership area was uh, the reason you wanted to be a leading teacher and go down the leadership path. I don't think I aimed to be a leader. I think it just kind of happened. I think I've been really lucky to have some great role models and mentors along the way that identified that I had some skills in the leadership area. I know there are fewer men in education, uh, but they often seem to, whether it's through maternity leave or all sorts of other reasons as well, but they seem to rise through the ranks more easily. So uh, sometimes a side effect of that is that women can feel the need to pull other women down in order to raise themselves up. But I've been so lucky that I've had some great women and men around me that have identified and encouraged the leadership qualities that I had. So teachers out of our school like Sue Baker and Kylie Peart and Scott Ross have, have really encouraged me to take any opportunity that's there for me and to uh, use my skills to help other people so I think I have a little bit of imposter syndrome I think sometimes I think that I am not qualified which I think you hinted out at the start about that uh, that I had plenty to offer but I I think I undersell myself so to have people like that in your life that have 
encouraged you along the way is probably what pushed me down the leadership path, I think. Yeah, excellent. Well, as I mentioned before, you always have plenty to offer. And you've, as I mentioned as well before, you've helped me out a lot. And I know you've helped out a lot of other teachers. So keep doing the amazing job that you're doing there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and what do you think are some really strong qualities of being a really strong leading teacher? Well, I read a quote recently about school leaders, which was as a school leader, your job is to make it easy for teachers to do their job. And I think that's what I try to do as a leader. I mean, this might mean that I'm trying to make it easy for them to do their job by upskilling them or helping them plan a lesson or modelling a lesson in their room or teaching with them. Or it might mean that I make their job easier by writing that document so that they don't have to write that document or saving them some time some way or helping them out with, you know, I'll just take that kid out of your room for a while to, so that you can get on with your job of teaching the rest or that kind of thing. So I think that strong leaders make it easy for teachers to do their job. And that sometimes that means not saying yes to every new initiative that comes along. There are some great, there are so many great things to do out there, but you can't do them all because you won't do them well. So I think it's good leaders know what to say yes to and what to say no to. I think it's called shielding and buffering on the uh, staff opinion survey, but yeah, knowing what to say yes to and no to, I think is a, a good quality of a, a leader. Yeah, excellent. And do you have a overused teaching cliche? Yes, I do. I feel like I've been set up for this question because I think we've been leading to uh, the 110% issue for a couple of podcasts here. Uh, and being the maths person, I'd be happy to chat to your favourite guest about uh, his problem with 110%. But a lot of people have said that 110% doesn't exist. It absolutely exists. So you can easily have 110%. Like if I run one kilometre today... And then I run one kilometre the next day, that's 100% of what I ran the day before. But if I run an extra 100 metres, I've run 110% of what I ran yesterday. So 110% definitely exists. So you often hear of things over 100% all the time. You hear banks increasing their profit by 200%. So anyone who says that anything above 100% doesn't exist is just statistically wrong. That's not okay. Um, but even if you didn't want to talk about it in mathematical terms, giving 110% is more of a motivational thing. So, and especially as your favourite podcast uh, teacher was a phys ed teacher, I would have thought they'd be right on board with 110% as well. When you think you're giving your all in that sprint race and then you just give that big head bob at the end and that gets you over the line, that's that extra bit that you didn't think you had in you. That's that 110%. So I'm happy to chat to anyone who thinks that 110% does not exist. Love it. There we go. I look forward that, to getting maybe everyone. Was that, a, was that a bit ranty? Did that sound ranty? Oh, no, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> Some really strong passion, excitement about sharing it. I loved it. Oh, so I am passionate about it. <laughs> Uh, and I know I've been talking about it a little bit before the podcast over the last few weeks with the other people that have been mentioning it. So I was excited to get you on to share your thoughts there, Lauren. So that was very exciting. I'll have to get everyone together and we might have to do a whole group session conversation about it, maybe. Ah, a maths debate. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I look forward to hearing everyone's uh, 
thoughts when they listen to this episode. That's exciting. Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> oh, I think I'm the first one to say that 110% is okay, aren't I? Everybody yes. else hates it. <laughs> yes, I think there was a few that weren't supportive of it. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. I'm happy to be the odd one out. That's great. But uh, no, that was fantastic. Great work. So building into that, uh, Loz, are you happy to play a little game? Oh, I love your games, Toddy. Go for it. Excellent. Well, this is called Todd's Quick Questions, but a lot of the time that's actually the quick part could be taken out of it. Goes out the window. (laughs) Yeah, there's not a lot of quick to it. But what I'll ask is a question you have to pick between two and you just pick the one that you think suits you best. Well, sound good? Okay. Can do, yes. Excellent. Rightio, we'll get into it then. Coffee or a cocktail? I, I love a cocktail, but definitely coffee. Huge shout out to my favourite coffees around town, my Hustle Coffee and my Percy Coffee. I like it strong, so let's go, coffee. Might get a, a few freebies after a little sneaky mention there, Loz. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> uh, coloured pen, are you a blue, black or red? Uh, I think I'm a blue pen girl. I like a blue pen. I think red's a little aggressive. Uh, And I just don't seem to have any black pens around. So I think I'm a blue pen girl, but I'm a bit of a pen chewer. I think it's nervous energy. So I have to make sure I buy pens that I can't chew. Otherwise I will chew them. So. Yep. I'm blue as well. So good job there. Uh, Would you rather deal with a photocopier jam or the printer runs out of ink? Oh, well. I'm a pretty logical person and I think I secretly enjoy the satisfaction of fixing a photocopier jam. So I'm going to go with the photocopier jam. Yep, fair enough. Uh, Would you rather teach on a full moon or a windy day? Uh, Oh, windy day is the worst. Everyone just goes silly on windy days. So I'll, I'll teach on the full moon instead of the windy day. Yes, fair enough. We've uh, been dealing with uh, the wind for the last few weeks as well. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, would you rather have a closed door chat with a staff member or a tough conversation with a parent? Well, I'd rather have neither. Uh, <laughs> they're both awful, but I know you're going to make me choose. Um, I Look, I don't actually often have to have closed door chats uh, with a staff member. So uh, I'll go with tough conversation with a parent. Um, I, I guess I'm lucky as well that I my class that I take is an extension high achieving maths class. So they're generally pretty happy to take your, uh, take your call. Excellent. No, good answer there. This might be a tough one for you. Would you rather a bike ride or a run? Oh, that is tough. I love them both. Uh, well, if you had asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would have definitely said bike ride because if you saw me running, then you should run too because somebody's chasing me because I did not run whatsoever. But COVID made me start running because I was overthinking things every morning. So now I love a good run. I would get up in the morning and I run in the park and it's a beautiful spot to be. So I am going to choose a run. Oh, that's different to what I thought you were going to pick. I like it. And you've got a... Yeah, I, look, I, you're right. I do love a good bike ride as well, but I'm going to go run. Yeah, like it. And you've got a, a run coming up soon, 10Ks. <laughs> I, I do. Yes. Like I said, I was not a runner before uh, and I've uh, committed to, well, someone else has committed me to a 10K run. So let's see whether I last that distance. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, whiteboard markers, are you a bullet tip or a chisel tip? 
I, I like the neatness that a bullet tip provides, uh, but I actually like my bullet tip to be a little bit blunt. I don't like it fresh out of the packet. It's a bit too pointy. So I like it to be a little bit blunt. Mm -hmm. It writes nicer. Oh, there you go. And last one, uh, would you rather tie wet shoelaces or wipe a runny nose? Oh, well, oh, they're both gross. Uh, but I guess these days I feel like I'm made of 90% hand sanitizer anyway. So I'm not really going to get sick for anything I touch, am I? Uh, I guess wet shoelaces might be we. Uh, however, a runny nose is definitely snot. So I'll take my chances that it just might be water. You never know. I'll, I'll tie the wet shoelaces. Yeah, like very good answer there. Well done. Uh, and that is all of Todd's quick questions. That was pretty quick. Well done. Very precise in your responses there, Loz. So well done. I'm going to oh, give you the... Well, I I like to be efficient. That's what a good mathematician does. They're efficient. <laughs> Love it. And I'm going to give you the win there. So uh, well done for playing Todd's quick questions there. You've done a great job. Wow. I'm honoured to get the win. Thank you. And that is actually the end of the Toddcast as well. So uh, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on to the Toddcast, the teacher podcast today. Um, loved having a chat about your teaching career so far having a bit of a deeper look as well into numeracy and getting your thoughts and ideas with that, looking at some resources and books, classroom musts, um, as I said before, heaps of knowledge that you can always share with us. So it's been great to have you on the podcast today. Oh, I really enjoyed it, Todd. Nowhere near as scary as I thought it was going to be. So all good. It did take a little while to con you into coming on. It did. Yes, you're right. You, you talked me into it. So yes, it's been great. Thank you. No, my pleasure. So yeah, once again, thank you so much for coming on and I look forward to seeing you soon. And that is the end of the 11th episode of the Toddcast, the teacher podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed having Lauren come on today and share her teaching journey and also taking a little bit of a deeper look into numeracy and sharing some of her ideas, thoughts and experiences. I look forward to you joining me for the 12th episode of the Toddcast, the teacher podcast. See you later.